heard about this small country had been at war with a neighboring country for years and years, and they literally had used up all of their de defense materials. They didn't have any weapons, just... And so they were still trying to recruit until this young man reached 18. He went down to join the fighting corps. And so the master sergeant says, well, well son, I, I hate to tell you this, but we don't have any rifles. Uh, so what I've started doing is I've just cut off these broom handles. And uh, you put it over your shoulder and you can march as though you got a rifle. And if you see the enemy coming, just throw it down and go bang, bangity, bang, bang. Put it back and just go on till you see the next enemy. So the young man said, yes, sir, I can do that. So he uh, disappeared over the hill, headed toward the enemy. And sometime later, the master sergeant was uh, sitting and he saw a figure coming back over the ridge. And he picked up his binoculars and checked it out. It was the young man coming back, blood streaming down his face. His broomstick was broken. He came stumbling back into camp and he said, what happened to you? He said, I met a great big guy over there that came toward me, and he said, tank, 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 any tank. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to kind of be careful sometimes about those folks you run into, uh, even in substitute types of situations. Take your New Testaments, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and Go all the way back to chapter 20, if you don't mind. John chapter 20. I'll read both the introduction and the concluding scriptures uh, on why this gospel was written. John 20, verse 30. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Seems quite interesting that almost that should be the introduction to the book that I've written these to produce this, but it's drawn more toward the concluding sections to literally say Jesus Christ is all you need. And when you look at the way John has recorded in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the incidents in the ministry of Jesus Christ to answer really life's largest questions, you have to come to the same conclusion. Jesus Christ is all we need. You see, John says that I have a motive for writing this, and the motive is to bring you to the point to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and to produce the fullness of life in you, and to produce it Immediately. Now let me explain fullness of life. When we by faith of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit hear God's word, and it leads us to the point to realize that unless I am redeemed, unless I'm saved, forgiven of my sins, I have no hope for an eternal life. So we have a, a, an inventory time in which we examine ourselves and in that time, we come to the conclusion that our sins are forgiven by the Lord Jesus, and into us comes eternal life. Now, if it's immediate, the fullness of life, and it's eternal, there's no diminishing of it, is there? There's no diminishing of it. Now, where the diminishing occurs is in our walk 
when we fail to say, as the old boy said, fessed up. Because quite often we find ourselves in dry days or experiences in life where our walk with the Lord has been interrupted by the power and the pressure of sin and the attraction that sin offers to the humanity of our being. And so uh, John says, I've written these things so that as you read them and as you understand them, you come and I've used signs, which is a miracle with a message. A miracle with a message. I've used these signs and miracles to show you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, He's the answer to our needs, isn't He? He is the answer to our needs. And John actually uses seven of the sign miracles of Jesus Christ to show forth this evidence. And he said, but there are a lot more than these that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. But we're going to look, and I, I won't promise you I'll be through at 12 because i got seven of them. It's not a three-point sermon and a poem. Okay, we're all right. Okay. If you would, uh, go back to John chapter 2. I'm going to bring you from the conclusion back to chapter 2, uh, close to the beginning. Jesus and his mother and his disciples were at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. John records it in chapter 2. Something happened there at the wedding, and they were already at the reception. They were at the wedding feast. And somebody tell me what happened. Ran out of refreshments. They ran out of wine. No 7-Eleven down the street. No sherbet and ginger ale. Couldn't get it. Couldn't, Couldn't come up with a beverage at that particular moment. But sitting there were large pots that were used as water pots in the purification process of the Jewish people. And Jesus said to the servants, fill those pots up and fill them all the way to the brim. They followed his instructions. He said, now draw out the water, which has been turned into wine, and carry it to the head waiter. He carried it to the head waiter, and the head waiter says, I want you to understand, you see, I don't know where this came from, and the servants knew, but he said, every man serves the good wine first, and the less good wine, the, uh, the, the wine which is poor, and you've kept the good wine until now. In other words, the best that Jesus had came to be served. Now, don't you think that was a time of discouragement for that bride and groom and their families? Have you ever been discouraged? Don't sit here and lie. You know, if you're old enough to breathe, you probably have been discouraged just a little bit in your life. And sometimes, have you ever met anybody that they're just discouraged all the time? Faces just always so long. They look like they could eat briars out of a Coke bottle. They just, how are you? Fine. You know, just always something going on. Just discouraging as discouragement could be in their lives. But Jesus says, I want you to come to understand that As I get involved, we can take the discouragement out of your life. When you read this passage and you understand the explanation and the basis is that wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. And so Jesus was bringing the discouragement of the moment and producing the joy that was needed so that the celebration could be apropos for the situation. 
Wine is a symbol of joy. Life is supposed to be filled with joy. Joy, joy, joy down in my heart. We used to sing it all the time, but most of the time it's joy, joy, joy. Mumble about it and go on with life. No, Jesus is God's answer to our discouragement. And water in the Bible is a symbol for the word or the inspired word of the Lord. So uh, Jesus is God's answer to our discouragement. Ever find yourself down, just pick up the Bible. And pick up the Bible and begin to read. Well, where do I begin to read? Well, I would read John's Gospel, and I would start reading in Psalms. And most of the time, as you look at the chapters, particularly the book of Psalms, there will be a subject title. And just read through there till you find one on joy, and then just stop and read it, and then go on a little bit farther. And just begin to fill your life with the total blessing of knowing the joy of Jesus Christ as revealed through God's Word. Jesus is God's answer to our discouragement. Turn with me over to chapter 4 of John's Gospel. Chapter 4 of John's Gospel. In this particular section, go down to verse 46. Uh, Jesus uh, was down in Galilee, and uh, he was speaking on one occasion, and after two days he went from Galilee, and he was uh, kind of being recognized as a teacher. Verse 46, it says, He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea to Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, who was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, You go your way. Your son lives. The man believed. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said, therefore, to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he believed, and his whole household. So again, this is the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. You see, Jesus is God's answer to man's doubt. The answer to man's doubt. You know, uh, when Jesus says something, what we need is to make sure that faith believes. The word believes or believed in this incident is recorded twice. Did the sick boy believe? No, he's not even mentioned of saying anything. Did the disciples believe? Doesn't even mention them as believed. Who believed? The Father. The Father believed. So therefore, Jesus becomes God's answer to man's doubt. You can't say you've got faith and doubt at the same time. They just don't go together. That's like buttermilk and banana pudding. They just just don't fit. Uh, 
Well, you may like it, but I don't. Uh, because faith never responds because it sees something. If you can see it, you don't need to faith it. But faith believes that it's real even though you don't see it. Jesus said, you go on home. Your boy's well. Your boy's healed. And the Bible says the man believed it. And then secondly, it mentions him when his servants came to tell him that his son was alive. And he said when, and it was at the hour that he believed. You can't have doubt and faith living in the same situation. Either what God has said through Jesus Christ is true, or it's not. But if it's true and you've believed it, then it's going to happen on the basis of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's God's answer to our discouragement. He's God's answer to our doubt. But uh, look at chapter 5 with me, if you would. And in chapter 5, the first nine verses have to do with a healing experience at the pool of Bethesda. You remember this. Uh, Jesus was back in Jerusalem, and there was a pool there that had five porticos. And at a certain time of the year, an angel would come down from heaven and trouble the waters. And the first person that got in the troubled waters was healed of whatever illness or sickness that they had. And as Jesus was walking among these people, there was a man there. And he was laying there on his cot, I suppose, or bed. But he'd been visiting this place for 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus saw him and knew that he had already been there a long time and in that condition. And he says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Well, folks, if I'd been sick 38 years, I'd have raised both heads and said, praise the Lord, yes. This man literally, and, and the man said, sir, I, I do want to be healed, but I, I've got nobody to help put me in the water when the water's troubled. And when the pool is stirred and I'm coming, I'm trying to get to the water, somebody gets in there before me. They were stealing his miracle. They were stealing his miracle. Jesus said, arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Folks, Jesus is God's answer to our disability. We might have the strength to get the job done. We may be disabled to the point to say, well, I don't even know if I ought to try anymore. I think the disability of this man was so crippling. You see, the, the, the extent of his, feel, of his feeling was dependent upon what he wanted. You ever pray for somebody and you are praying in the intensity that a disability would be answered? Folks, Christianity is the impossible plus the unreasonable plus Jesus Christ. The world looks at us and says, you all must be crazy for believing something like this. For a man who lived more than 2,000 years ago, was crucified on the cross, he died, and you think that he lives again? And you have some disability, there's something that you want to get done? It's unreasonable to think that that could happen. But yet Jesus just spoke the words. He didn't even put him in the water. He spoke the words. The man believed Jesus. And guess what? His disability was taken away. You ever need strength? At some point you will if you haven't at this point. But there's needs in our lives that can only be answered by the strengthening presence of God the Holy Spirit. I was driving over here this morning. I don't know where the thought came from. But I just slowed down because I was thinking, you know, they're not going to really listen to you this morning. 
I felt like saying, I won't be much different. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But for some reason or other, there was the, the, the sense in which there was not the ability that would be available to make sure that what I needed to do would happen. That's when I remembered what I was going to preach. The extent of the filling is dependent upon me. So how much of the Lord do I want today? So we just had a little go-to-Jesus meeting. Not that he had to come, I had to go. And in that situation, you find that the strength comes to deal when, the, when Satan would begin to say to us, you're not going to be able to do that. Jesus is God's answer. But Jesus is also God's answer for our desires. Look uh, in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6 with me. And actually, as you look at chapter 6, you'll see that this is picked up in the early verses here of chapter 6. Jesus uh, was uh, teaching, and there was a great multitude following him. And if you're familiar with this, it came time for them to eat. You ever been hungry? You have a desire. You have a desire for that hunger to be filled. Jesus said, where are we going to have enough money? Where are we going to buy food for this crowd? And uh, they didn't know where they uh, were going to get it. And finally, Andrew says, there's a little boy here brought his lunch. Well, get his lunch. So they brought his lunch. Five barley loaves and two small fish. Have you ever sat next to a boy who had a bag with sardines in it? Not very appetizing, is it? No refrigeration, no Reynolds wrap, no Ziploc bags, just a little boy's mom. He wrapped him up two fish and some loaves to eat. And so they brought that lunch to Jesus, but they asked the question, what are these among so many? And Jesus said, have them to sit down in groups. So the people sat down according to the instructions, and Jesus took the fish, and he took the loaves, and he blessed them, and he gave it to the disciples Everybody had enough. And he said, now get your baskets, and I want you to go around and take up what's left. And when they took up what's left, they have 12 baskets left over. Now, wait a minute. They started with two fish and five barley loaves. Well, folks, you know, it it's, it's, gets to be kind of troubling sometime in the sense of, of the desire that we have. But the meaning of the miracle is found in the fact that Jesus Christ is still the answer. You know, he made in this same chapter a statement. He said, I am the bread of life. And everybody who comes to me will never hunger or even thirst anymore. So if you find your life in one of those dry seasons, you ever had a spiritual dry season? That's for all of us. Because, you see, Satan will come into our lives and show us some things that are very attractive. If we aren't careful, we'll move a little bit. Then we'll move a little bit more. And we'll get over here and you will say, well, I wonder why I'm not happy. I wonder why I'm not finding fulfillment anymore. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit has you look at where you are rather than where you ought to be. So the, the, the desire to know the fullness and the filling of the Lord is found in Jesus Christ who not only feeds us spiritual bread, but he comes to us in such a way that we'll thirst after his feeding. But I want to tell you something, he can also surprise you sometimes and give you material bread. I think one of the most great, wonderful surprises I used to have 
is to arrive at home as a college student and not tell my folks I was coming and mom would have a banana pudding. That's spiritual bread. Some of you don't seem to think so. Well, I'm sorry. You didn't know my mom's banana pudding. But Jesus is God's answer uh, to our desires. But he's also the answer to our despair. Uh, They got through feeding, taking up the fragments that were left over, and the disciples got in a boat, but Jesus was not with them. And as they were rowing out across the lake, the wind began to blow, the waves began to rise, the boat began to sink, uh, uh, began to act like it was going to sink. And so they, they didn't know what to do. And then they turned around, and Jesus was coming toward them, walking on the water. Anybody here walk on the water? Well, if you know where the stumps are, you can fool a few folks. But Jesus was walking on the water. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you made it, you ought to be able to walk on it. Hello? Jesus was walking on the water, and not only were they frightened of the storm, they'd never seen anybody walk on water. I mean, those guys were fishermen. They hung around the lake all the time. But they'd never seen anyone walk on the water. Jesus is God's answer to our despair. You ever felt like you were in a flood and it was covering you over? All the problems were flooding in at one time? Listen. When it's over your head, it's already under his feet. That's a good place for an amen. It's already under his feet. He comes walking on it as though there is no problem whatsoever. He is God's answer to our our despair. They thought they were going down. He was there to pick them up. Jesus is also God's answer to our darkness. Look over at chapter 9, if you would. Jesus is uh, performing the healing of a man born blind here in chapter 9. See, the Bible says he passed by, there was a man blind from birth. Now, you, you would think that his disciples would be a little smarter than this, but the disciples said, Rabbi, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Now, isn't that a rather ridiculous? How could the man have sinned to be born blind? I mean, what did that baby do? Kick his mother too hard? Uh, you know, if they're looking for a place to, to put blame as it results of the fact that Jesus said it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is God's answer to man's darkness. This man just knew darkness. But Jesus took the time and he dealt with his needs. And he said, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man works. While I'm in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. So we need to keep introducing people in darkness to the light that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever known anyone who had a problem with blindness and they were able to have their sight restored? I met a man some years ago who had experienced this. I was sitting talking to him. I said, what's it like? And he said, oh, do you know how beautiful yellow really is? He said, I just just can't get over how yellow yellow is. 
he said, I try to get as much about it and as much into my head and my, my, my being as I can every time I have that kind of opportunity. Do you ever think about the, the beauty of light that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ that gives you a road that's filled and flooded with the brightness of heaven? He says, come on, walk with me. You think Jesus is going to take you to a place to where he'll scare you out of your wits? Oh, no. He's the light of the world and the light of eternity. In fact, they have to just about turn the lights off in heaven when he shows up. He is the eternal glowing bima, the brightness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So turn from your sins and look to the source of forgiveness. It's in the light of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn on over chapter 11 of John's Gospel, if you don't mind. And in chapter 11, basically go down to, uh, well, let me just kind of summarize this for you, but uh, uh, verse 25 is the key verse again here. Uh, Jesus made some great friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus over at Bethany. You're familiar with the fact that he was there quite often. He ate with them. He got word that Lazarus had died. And Mary Martha sent word to him, and so he started for Bethany. Uh, and uh, so when he got, or Lazarus was sick, when he got there, he'd already died. They'd already wrapped him and put him in his tomb. And Jesus got there and uh, went out to the cemetery, and he spoke to Lazarus told him first to roll that stone away that was blocking the entrance. And you remember he said, Lazarus, come forth. And they said, Lord, he's been in there four days. He's going to smell real bad. He cried out again, Lazarus, come forth. Do you remember Lazarus would wrapped and winding and had a towel around his head? I, I've often wondered. He looked like Peter Rabbit getting to the door. You know, boop, 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 boop. Or he just rolled over there the door. I don't know, but it was a rock and roll situation. And the rock rolled, rock and roll. <laughs> Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Folks, I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ is God's answer to man's death. Woo! If you know Jesus Christ, death doesn't frighten you. Doesn't frighten you. He could reach into eternity past. He could reach into eternity future because he's eternal. And he could say, hey, Lazarus, you're not finished yet. Come on back. And he came forth from that grave. You see, what Christ has already done is victory. Is victory. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the what? Life. I am the resurrection of life. Therefore, therefore, he says, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Now, that ought to stir us up to the point to where if we have friends and family who need the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to learn to die to self and live to Christ so that they are pointed to life everlasting in Jesus Christ. Jesus is all you need. He's all you and I need. You see, he takes care of discouragement. He takes care of doubt. He takes care of disability. He takes care of our desires. He takes care of despair. He takes care of darkness. And he takes care of death. 
He's the conqueror. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Do you know him? Well, he got here before you and I did this morning, and he's still here to give you life everlasting as you open your heart and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And that moment that you ask and believe in him, he forgives your sins. And according to John's gospel, you then have the guarantee of life everlasting in him. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, no bumps in the road, no difficulties. Still going to have some discouragement, but you got somebody who's already conquered it saying, I'm here. You might ask for help because he's a gentleman. And he does not force his will. He asks you to receive and believe. He asked me to receive and believe. And then we receive the blessing. Do you need to do that today? Do you need to come pray? Do you need to let the Holy Spirit lead you?